There is a book called The World, The Flesh, and Father Smith. It's written by a guy named Bruce Marshall. I don't know if you're familiar with him. In it is a quote, it's often attributed to other people, but this is the guy who actually said it, Bruce Marshall. The quote says, the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. So a young man looking for a prostitute is actually, with, even without him knowing it, searching for God. What Marshall says so well is that we humans, we try and find wholeness everywhere and in all kinds of places. We're incomplete by ourselves. If we didn't have a problem with wholeness, the cliche in rom-coms wouldn't be, you complete me. That wouldn't make any sense. There is a reason it wouldn't become a cliche. We all, at some level, search for what God can only deliver, which is wholeness. When we don't find it, we shop that desire around to other places, from brothels to families. And we might think, well, maybe a family is enough to make me whole. Or maybe a career can be enough to make me whole. But you can have the best family and the best job in the world and still feel like something just isn't quite right, because it's not, or something is missing. I mean, maybe it's just a tiny bit off, or maybe it's just a tiny, small little crack that you wouldn't notice unless you looked, but you looked, and you know it's there. The search for wholeness leads us to political obsessions, ethical crusades, and really trying to find wholeness ends, on our own terms ends up leaving us wanting more. Everything from politics to families, it's hard to find our complete satisfaction in these things, as good as they could be. And I think we kind of feel shame about not being whole, because we think that if we only did the right things in the right way, that we would get the wholeness that we're searching after. So if we're not exactly experiencing wholeness, it must have been that we didn't do enough. Like I needed to spend more time with my family, I needed to love my partner better, or I needed to find a more fulfilling job, stuff like that. So in our search for wholeness out there, it reveals a problem in here. We aren't whole, and we feel shame about that. Because if I was enough, I would be whole, but I'm not. So now I have to search for this thing to get me the wholeness, and I still don't have that, so I feel shame about that as well. We aren't whole. We can't find it in ourselves, and still the search and hunger for wholeness continues. And this is what Jesus is talking about and doing in, in Mark chapter 7. This is where Jesus comes to rescue us. Jesus is the one who makes us whole and gives us those he's made whole a path to follow. A good word, though it's a churchy word, a good word for this wholeness is holiness. It's a good word, but as is the case with some churchy words, it's easy to hear it and not understand it. Think we get it and then just kind of move on and just shelf it somewhere. But wholeness and wholeness are interchangeable, and I'm going to use those terms as interchangeable today. They're one and the same. Now, whether you're a churchy person or not, I think we all wrongly think that holiness probably just means keeping the rules, doing the right things. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus confronts, though, in Mark chapter 7. It's the opposite of that. Jesus rightly defines what holiness is. It's wholeness. And so Jesus comes to make us whole and gives those who he's made whole a path to follow. He is our holy king. So in this chapter, we're going to divide it into two sections. One, when he's talking to the Pharisees, where Jesus teaches us about wholeness. And in the second section... Um, we're going to see how Jesus makes us holy. So he teaches us about holiness, and he makes us holy. First, uh, Jesus teaches about holiness. So holiness defined, this is the kind of working definition we'll have, holiness is the path for those who have already been made whole. It's not a way to find wholeness itself. It's the path for those who have already been made whole. You might even have a... There we go. The path of holiness doesn't make us holy. 
The path itself does not make us holy. Holiness is the path for those who have already been made whole. I'm going to repeat that over and over and over because I think we need to hear it over and over and over again. Because like, we are like the Pharisees. The Pharisees claim to be holy. They claim to be whole. But Jesus says they aren't on the right path. They're not doing the right things. The Pharisees aren't whole in themselves and aren't on the right path. And Jesus teaches us about what that looks like. So when the Pharisees see the disciples uh, not following the laws of cleanliness, they're disturbed. And this isn't uh, just something the Pharisees did. In verse 3, it says that this is something that all the Jews did. They always washed before eating. I mean, it was kind of, I mean, it makes sense if you're sweaty, maybe you've been working in the garden, you're dirty, your hands are dirty, and you're just like dying of hunger. So you take this loaf of bread and you rip it and you eat it, and then you put it down and it's just like this black mark of your hand left over on the loaf. Like, no one wants to eat that. It's kind of gross. Like, it's just kind of dirty in itself. But for the Jews, not only was it physically not clean, it was also spiritually not clean. Their physical lives were supposed to be reflective of their spiritual lives. And if their spiritual lives were clean, then they were supposed to live outward physical lives. So the Pharisees believed that rituals like hand washing was a practice that got you closer to God. And if you didn't do it, then you were further away from God. Cleanliness is godliness, right? Well, these people really believed that. Cleanliness is godliness. And basically, they thought the path of holiness was a way to get holy. So the disciples, they probably should have washed their hands. But Jesus doesn't go after them when the Pharisees bring that up. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you're right, John, put that bread down. Peter, go wash up. Like, all of you, march. No, he goes after the Pharisees for being hypocrites. And he doesn't just stop with ceremonial washings. Jesus continues. He's like, yeah, you know what? This is wrong. Also, it reminds me of this other thing that's really wrong. Um, in verses 8 through 14 that Rachel read, and if you have your Bible, just yeah, keep them open because I'll keep referring to this. <clears throat> when, I, 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 when I first read through those verses, I was like, what exactly is Jesus talking about here? I don't really get it. Um, it took a bit of explanation for me to understand. I think what's going on is a very religious disobedience. Um, so here, here's kind of the situation. A daughter or a son should be providing for their parents as they get older. Maybe that daughter or son has some kind of property or money, some kind of asset or something they could do to actually care for the parents. But that child doesn't want to care for the parents because the child wants that stuff for themselves. And so they declare it Corbin, that's de that is devoted to God. They declare it and an intention to be used for the temple or for the priests. But they didn't have to immediately give it to the temple or the priests. So they didn't have to give it to the temple, they didn't have to give it to their parents, so basically there was a way for them to keep it for themselves. And so it's kind of like a, and this was just like part of religious law that the Pharisees set up. So the Pharisees approved of this. So there's a way to not honor your father and mother by keeping this stuff for yourself. And also you're not honoring, honoring God because you're not giving it to the temple. And so this is what Jesus is saying is wrong. This is a very kind of religious way to do what you want, to keep your stuff and not really care for your parents. So the law of honoring the father and the mother, which is a big one, it's one of the commandments, is superseded by the traditions of the religious people, by the Pharisees. It's just a clever way of disobeying God. I mean, the Pharisees are sneaky. Like, ah, oh, well, we'll make this law that kind of looks like this. They're sneaky. They're not saying, it's like if you were to talk to one, they would say, well, I'm not saying you should not honor your father and mother, but there's this other thing you could do if you want to keep that thing for yourself. They're sneaky, and it was part of their religious observance. And that really, I think, reveals a sneakiness in our hearts, too. Because rarely are we going to like, I am choosing to sin against God right now just to do it. Like we find ways of being good on the outside while still doing the wrong things inside. Like the Pharisees, all Christians are just, we're just good at very religious disobedience. 
And then Jesus says, and you do many things like that. It's not like, oh, there's these two things, but other than that, you guys are all right. It's like, no, there's lots of things you guys do that are like that. So we're like the Pharisees when we believe that the path of holiness makes us holy. And for us, the way we define it, because that's easy, for, a way for us to easily keep up is these outward observances. That keeping rules first is how we are acceptable to God, as long as the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Yeah, that is such a shallow view, though, isn't it? And it's not holy, and it's not going to give us the thing that we want, the wholeness that we want. Because we can't make ourselves whole. We are unable to make ourselves whole. So Jesus is saying the path of wholeness and being made whole, those are two very different things. Being made whole and the path are two different things. The Pharisees believe the path of wholeness brings wholeness. And that's how we get it. But here's the thing with the Pharisees. They were the most holy people, and they obviously couldn't do it. Is there a better example of people who were actually not holy than the people who really thought they were? They couldn't stay on the path. They even contorted the religion that they were loving, supposedly, itself, to serve their own means. So the path of wholeness isn't how we get it. We have to be made whole first, and then we can stumble along that path. So it's a massive difference. If the path is a way to get whole, we will never be made whole. It will just be another thing we failed at. We might try, we might whitewash it, paint over our problems, we'll learn to package them up with good religious sayings and good Christian cliches, but we just aren't enough to get the wholeness that we need by ourselves. That's how hypocrites are created. Now, there are many benefits to this path of, it's not that the path is wrong, it's that we're wrong. There are many benefits to this path of holiness um, and as Jesus says in verse 8, it's about the commandments, uh, their commands of God. Now, this isn't following rules to get closer to God. It's a road that God has provided for our good. It's how people who, through Jesus, have already been made whole. It's how we express our wholeness, how we live it out. It's not how we get whole. It's the product of a life that's already been made whole. So am I laboring the point? Yeah, you bet I am. I'm, I'm going to labor this point the entire sermon. It's just gonna be the same thing over and over and over again. And this must be something that has to get drilled into our hearts because we're so prone to forget that. We're so prone to make the path the holiness thing itself. So we get mixed up about the path, but let's not miss like, the benefits of what the path is like because the path of holiness is a good thing. Um, so what does it look like? Well, first, it's authentic as opposed to hypocritical. So Jesus, or, or Mark, in, um, in quoting Jesus, says that Jesus quoted Isaiah, in uh, Mark 7, verses 6 through 7, he says, um, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. It's someone having an affair, and after having sex, calls up his spouse and tells him, I love you. That's what the Pharisees are doing. A hypocritical faith is when religious things are going on, you act religious, but in the rest of your life, you do whatever you want to do. It's a very fragmented and incomplete life. Holiness is all-encompassing, so it's authentic. It can't be hypocritical. It also follows God's commands as opposed to our own practices that um, Jesus talks about in verse 8. Surrendering our own practices uh, in order, surrendering our own practices in order to practice the way of Jesus is a very difficult thing because we've been sold the lie that our lives are our own. We've all woke up today thinking that this day is mine to do whatever I want with it. It's mine to do to destroy it or to love it. We have the right to do whatever we mostly want in our lives. And when that gets tread upon, we get kind of anxious. And here's one way maybe this has worked out in our own church. 
here, is everyone likes the idea of the early church in Acts. Everyone eating in people's homes, sharing life together, no one's in need. Um, and they're sharing in this kind of joyful generosity together. You know, and as a church, we're starting out, we're small, so we can reflect that in some ways. And we can reflect being more like a family than a larger point, and that's an amazing benefit. Now, everyone loves the idea of family. It's part of our identity statements here on this, this sign right here, family. We are a gospel-formed family on mission. But how well are we doing this if we're honest? Like, it's just really hard. It's difficult. It means that people need to tell others about their needs. And that's humbling. Who's got to put their hand up for that? It's like if you get married and you're used to making lots of decisions on your own, now you have like all these other people to think of. I mean, we're not in a marriage covenant. It's not that kind of weird thing. But there's some level of we should be making decisions with thinking of other people. It's a hard thing to do within our church. And we believe the same things about God. How much harder would it be to live in this way, a family kind of way, with people who don't believe all the things that we believe? It's difficult. So it's about God's commands, that's just, and that's just one of them that we talked about. It's about uh, authenticity. It's also about the heart as opposed to merely outward things. So it's not just about outward behavior change. The heart is the center of a person. There's a lot of other words we could use, like being or essence or soul or whatever. And a heart change means a change in our desires and our hopes and our fears. That Jesus cares too much about us to leave us with some kind of external behavior only change. How tragic would it be if we did the right things, said the right words, if we did all the right things with our time, with our money, with someone who showed up on Sundays, with someone who was like part of our church, but inside your heart was still broken. That would be tragic. To be merely religious is a tragedy. Jesus really wants our hearts to be whole. And by the way, a benefit to following Jesus' path is um, uh, later on in, uh, in chapter 7, Jesus declares all foods clean. So especially if you come from Judaism or Islam, um, following Jesus' path, his path of wholeness, means that we can eat all kinds of food, which is an amazing little benefit. don't have a lot of time to go into that. But I think what that continues to illustrate is Jesus' big premise. The outside isn't our problem. Clean hands, foods, that's not our problem. It's the inside, what's going on inside, that needs to be changed. I think if you have to be admitted to a university before you can be a student, just taking classes and not being officially a part of a uni or, or doesn't kind of make you a student if you just kind of go through the motions. Just showing up doesn't get you college credit or university credit. But, imagine, but if, you admitted, if you've been admitted to the uni and you don't show up, well, time will prove itself that you're never really a student either. So the two go hand in hand, but one has to happen before the other. And your experience as a student will be directly correlated to how much you actually act like a student. That's not always easy. I mean, a big mistake I made as a student um, was signing up for a class that started at 7.30 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Oh, rookie mistake. It was bad. I mean, there couldn't be a worse possible time. I, mean, I didn't actually have much of a choice because it was the only time that class was offered. I think it was meant to weed out people who, didn't, who were kind of just, I don't know, there to hang out. And my lecturer constantly would tell these horribly just dusty old dad jokes in such like a old crusty kind of dry voice. If I was awake, I would think it was hilarious because I could laugh at him, but I was just barely awake, just kind of stumbling there. It was, it was the worst, anatomy and physiology, oh, it was horrible. Um, but I was a student and I had to take this class 
I didn't always show up, especially on Fridays. But I really didn't have a choice. If I didn't take that class, I just eventually I wouldn't be a student anymore. I would've been kicked out. My experience as a student was directly correlated in the form of a letter grade to getting up when I didn't want to, to having to sit through some of those horrible jokes. Now, going to class is the path that a student must stumble along. And at 7.30 a.m., it was definitely stumbling. So the Pharisees used the path of wholeness as a substitute for wholeness itself. The external aspects of religion and tradition replaced the internal uh, desires of their hearts. And we find our wholeness in our own kind of religious traditions. I mean, do you ever notice how religious political opinions can get, political decisions or associations? That's basically replaced religion in a lot of ways. And what about someone who has started a new diet? Have you been around somebody like that? That's a very religious kind of thing sometimes. Or maybe someone who has certain ethical beliefs about uh, capitalism or sexual practices or ideas about family. I mean, these things can all feel and, and, and come across very religious in the way we talk about them and interact with them. But when we use political or ethical agendas to define us, to really make us whole, we will always be incomplete. Those things do not have the power to make us whole. And that's exactly what sin is. Sin is finding our wholeness outside of God. That means we can use very religious things, we can use a church plant, very ironic, wouldn't it be, to stay away from God. We humans are just really good at keeping God away. And what Jesus is telling the Pharisees here in chapter 7, a.k.a. us, is that the way of holiness exposes our lack of it. If we're made new in Jesus, made whole, the path of holiness is one we can't do on our own. Just like last week when Jesus told the disciples to feed the crowds, he has designed our lives to be dependent in everything. But we don't like that. We'd much rather be hypocrites. We'd much rather live inauthentic lives as much as we say we value authenticity. We'd much rather be focused on behavior instead of our hearts. But this is where the path of holiness, that way of being is a gift because it forces us back to Jesus. It forces us to be realigned with his way. So for us who are hypocrites, we are called to turn from keeping up the appearances that we have it all together to turn towards Jesus and in our lack, ask him and his church to help. For us who are doing our own thing, we're called to turn from our self-centered and overstuffed lives and turn towards Jesus, asking him to, to, to allow us to live more generously. For those of us who are focused on behavior at the expense of our hearts, we're called to turn away from merely outward obedience and turn towards Jesus and ask him to have our desires reflect more of his. So Jesus doesn't just teach us about this path of wholeness. wholeness. He's also the one who makes people whole. So we can't do enough to bring ourselves to God. So God came to us. And that's what these next two stories where Jesus honors the, uh, the woman's faith and heals the deaf and mute man are all about. It's about Jesus showing us what being made whole looks like because Jesus is the one who makes us holy. And Jesus brings about wholeness. So the first story we have is... Uh, someone begging for spiritual wholeness, an incomplete woman with spiritual needs. And she was unclean. She was not a Jew. She was a Gentile, therefore technically unclean by Jewish people. Gentile dogs was a common expression used for them. And Jesus uses it with her. It seems harsh. But it, he's, not, he's not trying to shut her down because she engages him. And actually, up until this point, really, this is the only woman who has engaged Jesus well about his mission so far, and it wasn't a Jewish person, and we're in chapter 7 already of this book. So someone who probably gets Jesus more than 
God's own people. So what happens when an unclean person comes into contact with the king? Well, the one who not only is clean himself, but makes others clean, what happens when that happens? What happens when that happens? Well, first, he rescues her daughter from an unclean spirit. An unclean person is asking for her daughter to be rescued from an unclean spirit, and this mother engages Jesus, the first to really engage in a meaningful way. So, Because she has faith, and she's desperate. Desperation kind of brings out our needs and it makes us be honest with our needs whilst we normally kind of spend our energy suppressing them. So she's begging Jesus though. Notice how she approaches him. In, in verse 26, it says, the woman was a Greek born in Syria Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive out the demon out of her daughter. The daughter can't fix the problem. The mother can't fix it. They're not enough. They need, they are desperate for Jesus to come through. And it's a story of spiritual wholeness. Nothing in this story is clean. You have an unclean woman, you have an, an unclean spirit, and Jesus, who brings the cleanness, the wholeness, the holiness that we need, rescues this little girl. So that's the woman, and now we have the man, an incomplete man with physical needs. So one is begging for spiritual wholeness, the other is begging for physical wholeness, and we've seen this before in Mark, he puts those stories back together, back to back a spiritual need and a physical need, and Jesus heals them both. So a man who probably had some kind of accident or illness at some point in his life, who was unable to hear and barely able to speak. Um, the woman herself spot, sought spiritual wholeness, but this one has a man and his friends kind of seeking physical wholeness. So this man, he had some good friends. They took him to Jesus. In verse 32, it says they begged him. Mark is doing this on purpose. They are, these people are beggars for Jesus. The woman came to Jesus herself. The man had friends who had to bring him in. So sometimes we come to Jesus ourselves, and sometimes we need others to bring us there. Both of those things are true. Either way, we're all beggars seeking wholeness from our king, the one who gives it to us. Our search for wholeness makes us all beggars, and these people got it. Anyone coming to Jesus in the desperate need for wholeness, Jesus always gives it. He never refuses. And Jesus takes this man aside, Mark brings out the kind of really interesting details in this story, and Jesus rescues this man by giving him the wholeness he was seeking. No path of holy living could have healed this man. No amount of going to the temple or giving the right amount of money away could have, could have healed him. No religious observance would have cured the woman's daughter. Only Jesus makes what is fragmented whole. So we always get these stories backwards. If I do enough, I'll be enough. Jesus says, you aren't enough, and you never will be. You weren't designed to be that way. I am, and I will make you whole. And then you're free to walk the path of wholeness, one that means depending on me more and more. And that's what Mark is pointing to in the last verse of this chapter, in verse 37. It says, people were overwhelmed with amazement. So again, people are amazed. They're like amazed, amazed, like compound amazement. And then uh, uh, Mark says, the people were saying, he has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What Mark is referring to there, I don't know if you have a, a reference in your Bible or not, is Isaiah 35. In Isaiah 35, we have um, God's people who are in the desert, and then the Lord bursts on the scene. So these people, God's people who are in the wilderness, in the desert, and the glory of the Lord shows up, at least to joy, at least to flowers blooming in this kind of barren wasteland. Um, I have these verses on here, starting in verse 5. It says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. 
Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast that will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. The way of holiness that Isaiah prophesied about is now here. Is it a journey to make us clean? To redeem us? No. It's the journey that people who are already redeemed are on. And what does this path offer? Eyes opened, ears hear, the lame leap, formerly mute, can now shout for joy. There's water in a drought. What was once sweltering and unbearable becomes a resort where everything that was once out to get us, well, they're not there. No lions, nothing to fear, only the redeemed walk there. This is a story of those who were once oppressed now are free. Where those who have been made whole journey alongside others who have been made whole, a bunch of beggars stumbling along with Jesus leading the way. Jesus puts us back together. Only he has the power to give us the wholeness we need that we crave and that really we relentlessly search for. If you found it, are you still looking somewhere else? If Jesus has made you whole, are you enjoying it? Is, is the way of wholeness isn't always easy, but there is rest there. There's meaning there. There's family, there's connections with others, there's honesty, there's generosity. It's all there. Are we enjoying it? If you haven't found your wholeness in Jesus, in Jesus, I know you've been shopping it around because we all do, trying to find some semblance of wholeness for ourselves. If you haven't looked into Jesus, it's worth giving an honest look into and the family that he's creating. He's always generous, he's always loving, and he's more than able. He forces all of us to deal with our own hypocrisy, our own self-obsession, our own focus on behaviors and personal agendas. And for those who follow Jesus, that's where we take our shortcomings, to Him. That's where we're supposed to do it. Where do you take yours? We're all beggars. We've found Jesus to be the source of life. Where else do we go? Where else could we go? Now for all of us, do you see that a search for wholeness outside of Jesus will not get you what you want? Jesus has the wholeness we all need. Holding ourselves back from Him isn't helpful to us or anyone else. The lie is that wholeness can be found somewhere else, but it is a lie. When Jesus' wholeness comes into contact with us, we are made whole. But how did Jesus make everything good? How can he bring that kind of wholeness to us? And that's what the cross is all about. And eventually in Mark, Mark talks about how Jesus died a criminal's death, how though he never did anything wrong himself, and there was this great exchange that happened. Jesus, who's perfect, but took on all of our brokenness. And he took on that burden on himself and he died, putting to death all that will ever stop us from experiencing his wholeness. So he got death and we get life. We get wholeness. This affects our path, our path, because he took our lack of wholeness with him to the grave. It's done. So through Jesus, this allows our past to be wiped clean. We're giving a new status of being made whole. In those moments when you remember something that you shouldn't have done, something that you shouldn't have said, for a Christian, we get to hear, you're forgiven, it's finished. It affects our past, but not just our past, our present and future as well. Because look at verse 37 again. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well. 
And what Mark is picking up here is Revelation 21, or what John picks up when he writes Revelation. In Revelation 21, 5, it says, He who is seated on the throne, this is Jesus, says, I am making everything new. We have done everything well and we are making everything new, starting with us today, right now, in this moment. So if you've never come to Jesus with your search for wholeness, or if you have and you're holding something back, maybe today is the day to release that and give that to him. Through the cross, Jesus has already made us whole and gives us a path to grow in that wholeness. And that's why we eat this bread and drink this wine. Because this bread is for beggars. This wine is for beggars, for people who are thirsty. We are a church of people on the journey to finding our wholeness in Christ. This symbolizes Christ's provision for us on our journey. And so on the cross, his body was broken so that ours wouldn't be, giving us a path towards wholeness. And on the cross, his blood was poured out taking up, swallowing with it all of our brokenness down to the grave so that we would never experience the brokenness again. If you're on this journey of finding your wholeness in Jesus, come join with us, come eat and drink, whether you're part of Redeemer or not. And if you're not yet on this journey, please don't take unless you'd like to come along. And it's, there's plenty of room for many to join in. Jesus is more than enough for all of us, and there's always room for more. And let me pray.